Decades of research show that we often see what we expect to see, and just as often, ignore what falls outside our expectations. Perhaps the most famous study on this topic involves a video of two teams passing basketballs back and forth. Participants in the study are asked to watch this video and keep track of the number of times the players wearing white uniforms pass the ball. There may be a half a dozen players and multiple basketballs, so there's a lot of movement, and you have to pay close attention to get an accurate count. In the middle of the game, something happens that's not part of the basketball game. A person in a gorilla suit strolls right through the middle of the game. He doesn't sneak across or appear only in a corner or anything like that. He just walks straight across the screen among the players. But researchers have found that most participants are so focused on keeping track of the players passing the balls that they don't see the gorilla. We see what we expect to see. By the 12th chapter of John's Gospel, Jesus has become something of a celebrity. And so some Greeks approach his disciples and ask to see him. Maybe they'd heard about Lazarus brought back from the dead. Maybe they saw the commotion created by the donkey-riding king. We don't know much about these Greeks. They're described as being among those who were in Jerusalem to worship at the Passover festival. Some scholars think they're Greek-speaking Jews, but more believe that they are Gentiles. They approach Philip, who, being Galilean and having a Greek name, presumably is more accustomed to Gentiles. And they say, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Now, in one way, these Greeks remind me of many people in our country today, and particularly here in Marin County, people that we know as the spiritual but not religious. It's a broad category, but generally it means folks who are open to a sense of mystery, curious about the divine, wonder about God and the spiritual life, but they haven't found those inclinations and needs met by traditional religious institutions. Like the Greeks in today's passage, they're outside the institution. These Greeks don't ask Philip about a new members class or ask to join a committee. They don't want to know what doctrine or creed Jesus confesses. They just want to see him. They want a personal encounter with him. But what exactly do these Greeks expect to see? Who do they expect Jesus to be? For a couple of years now, I've had an ongoing conversation through my open office window with a man in our neighborhood who walks his dog past the church every day. It started one day when my window was open, and he walked over and asked me a theological question. I don't remember what it was now. But now he waves whenever he walks past my window, and every couple of weeks or so he stops, and we chat through my open window five or ten minutes about dogs and religion and some of life's tough questions. Last week I shared with him the news that on March 17th, a majority of the 171 presbyteries of the Presbyterian Church USA approved an amendment to the church's book of order that now describes marriage as a unique relationship between two people, 
traditionally a man and a woman. The Book of Order doesn't require pastors to officiate at any wedding that they choose not to for whatever reason. But after many years of marginalizing gay couples, the Presbyterian Church now celebrates marriage equality. It's big news. And this man was thrilled and surprised. And not only because at that point our big news hadn't yet been included as a quiz question on NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, (laughs) which it was. I know a lot about this man after a couple of years. I won't tell you much because, as odd as it sounds, I have become this man's pastor, whether he would use that word or not. But I will tell you that he was raised a Presbyterian back east, and he was surprised by the news because this kind of openness and tolerance and willingness to take risks isn't what he expected to see. It isn't what he expected of the church, and it isn't what he expected of Jesus. Like so many spiritual but not religious, he expects a church and a Jesus that are more interested in what happens to us after we die than when we're alive. He expects a church and a Jesus that care more about believing in doctrine than how we treat each other. At one point in our conversation last week, he said, organized religion, wow. I asked him if I could quote him on that. (laughs) It's interesting that in our passage this morning, it doesn't seem that the Greeks ever actually get to meet Jesus. Their request triggers a response that seems at first to have nothing to do with their request. But in John's Gospel, the word seeing is code for believing or understanding. So when Jesus answers with a description of his death and glorification, he's saying, this is what needs to happen before they can see me, before they can understand me. Glory, says Jesus, will come when he lets go of everything but his faithfulness to God. Faithfulness to God, he has shown throughout John's Gospel, means living a life that reveals the limitless love of God, even when you're threatened with death, even when death is the consequence. John's Jesus always seems to know the future and be on board with it. And here, even before his arrest, he's warning his disciples that not only will he die, he'll also be resurrected and ascend. The cross isn't the end, it's the beginning. Then Jesus uses that metaphor of a seed that has to be broken open before it can sprout or grow and bear fruit. Again and again, Jesus says, we must die in order to live, and because it's what they've been taught, people like my friend at the window It's expect that this refers to life after death in heaven. I'm 100% in favor of heaven, believe me. But what Jesus is talking about here is something more risky, something more challenging, something more about right here and now. I'd like to figure out how to share that with my friend at the window. I'd like to figure out how to share with him that the Jesus of Scripture is very different from the Jesus that he learned about in Sunday school many, many years ago. Author Gary Wills explains in his book what Jesus meant, that the Jesus of the Bible preferred the company of the lonely and despised. He crossed lines of ritual impurity to heal and teach 
and even to dine with the unclean, the lepers, the possessed, the mentally ill, adulterers, sinners, and collaborators. His detractors called him the agent of the devil, a glutton, and a drunkard. What Jesus did was pretty much challenge everybody, every established institution, including his own religion. And from beginning to end, he walked steadfastly in a direction opposite from the direction pretty much everybody else was walking. Instead of protecting himself and guaranteeing his future security, he seemed intentionally to make himself vulnerable. Instead of building his resume, his bank account, and social standing, he seemed intent on spending out his life in the present tense. Instead of te teaching how to get ahead, he said disconcerting things like, unless a grain of wheat is buried in the ground, dead to the world, it is never any more than a grain of wheat. But if it is buried, it sprouts and reproduces itself many times over. In the same way, anyone who holds on to life just as it is, destroys that life. But if you let it go, reckless in your love, you'll have it forever, real and eternal. A couple of days ago, Scott Clark posted a blog about Janie Sparr. Scott was a church member here before he was ordained as the associate dean and chaplain at the seminary next door. Many of you know him, and many of you know Janie, because for many years before she retired, and even still, she's been a part of our presbytery, our regional governing body. Scott noted that now the Presbyterian Church has caught up with an understanding of the gospel that Janie has been living out for 40 years of ordained ministry. From the very earliest days of her ministry, Janie, an out Presbyterian lesbian minister and evangelist, has been clear in her vision that the gospel of Christ is good news for all people, including LGBTQ people, and that this understanding of the gospel requires the full gospel welcome of all people. Long, long before most of us had imagined legal recognition of marriage for same-gender couples, Janie stood as a pastoral presence in the marriage of couple after couple, saying yes to so many when the church kept saying no. And the denomination, as a result, prosecuted her several times for her pastoral commitment to celebrate and honor and support the marriage of same-gender couples. Scott said he'd learned several things about pastoral identity from Janie. One was, because Jesus. The prosecutions were hard on Janie and her family and her loved ones. The denomination and others in the church said some pretty awful things about her. And through all that, when Janie was on the witness stand and asked why, why did you marry these couples, she said this, because to say no to them would have violated my ordination vow to be obedient to Jesus Christ. To say no to them would go against everything that I understand about Jesus Christ. Another lesson Scott learned was, if you ever have the chance to get in trouble for the sake of Jesus, do it. In 2008, when marriage became legal in California, and couple after couple came to Janie asking her to celebrate their marriages, Janie said yes, knowing that there would be prosecutions. She'd been through it before, she knew the cost. 
There was that heartbreaking day in the late summer of 2010 when after couple had, many couples had testified as to Janie's pastoral care and about their love and their marriage, the Presbytery Judicial Commission held that Mary's, uh, I'm sorry, Janie's ministry was faithful to the gospel and a blessing to the church, but that they were constrained to find her guilty. It was deep, deep pain. And then the denomination's highest judicial commission affirmed this decision. The good news was the day when our whole presbytery, the Presbytery of the Redwoods, at a meeting right here in the sanctuary, rejected the national church's decision and refused to deliver any rebuke. And we stood with Janie. Scott writes, for many of us, those days with Janie, painful and liberating, have changed our lives. We know that Janie's pastoral identity invites us and the whole church to be people of love and courage for the sake of the gospel and for the blessing of all people and all families. If you ever have the chance to get in trouble for the sake of Jesus, do it. That is quite the challenge. But couldn't it be that this is precisely what Jesus means when he says, unless a grain of wheat is buried in the ground, dead to the world, it is never any more than a grain of wheat? If it is buried, it sprouts and reproduces itself many times over. If you let, let it go, reckless in your love, you'll have, have your life forever, real and eternal. John's Gospel affirms again and again, if the Greeks had seen Jesus, this is the Jesus that they would see. This is the Jesus that we should expect to see. The Jesus who invites us and the whole church to be people of love and courage for the sake of the gospel. Our theme during Lent has been daily resurrection. The resurrection is not just an event that happened once on Easter. At the very center of our Christian life is personal transformation that we describe as dying to an old way and rising to a new way of being, dying to an old identity and rising to a new identity centered in God. As we've done throughout Lent, this morning we're inviting you to take one of those stones and the paper cups at the ends of your pews, ponder or pray about a situation in your life that might be calling you either to see Jesus in a new way or to let Jesus be seen in you in a new way or even a way you might be willing to get in trouble for the sake of Jesus. Write on the stone an initial, a word, a symbol. Keep it or toss it in the Rock River landscaping in front of the church as you leave this morning. Sir, we would see Jesus. This verse is engraved on the inside of many pulpits where the preacher can see it. The idea is to remind the person standing in the pulpit that this is the desire of every person sitting in the pews, to see Jesus, to encounter Jesus, to encounter the one in whom we best encounter the love of God. It is great advice, but not just for preachers. It is our calling as the church, as those who call themselves the body of Christ, to let the world 
see Jesus in us. May it be so for you and for me. Amen.